0: Howdy listeners from coast to coast, from the Gulf to Canada and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal, your Wyoming hayseed, with another show for you. Yeah, that's right, on the Right Side Radio, here we go. And you know what we're going to do today? I'm going to tell you the history of the Democratic Party, and then I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. And you'll see how it all ties in. Their past with the present, and all the nonsense that they spout, CRT, etc. It is just a cloak. It is just a guise for the real intent. And then we're going to have some information for you on this student loan forgiveness program. I mean, who knows if this is even legal. We'll see what court challenges arise, maybe after the midterms, of course. The numbers aren't good. And, you know, if you take the bill that Manchin agreed to that he's going to get screwed on, as I'm going to tell you in this show and you take that $768 billion and its associated costs, and then you take this loan forgiveness, you have another roughly $2 trillion in spending and deficit and upside-down net worth. And guess what that's going to cause? Yes, right, inflation. And then we're going to have, I'm not even going to have a middle segment in this show because there is so much popping out there with the midterms coming. I'm just going to have one, big, long rat-a-tat-tat on a whole bunch of subjects. And you know, if you keep these rat-a-tat-tats in mind next week, we are finally, as I've been promising for three weeks, going to get into the fourth industrial revolution. As uh, enunciated by our friend Klaus Schwab, you will owe nothing and you will be happy. And then I'm going to tie it in to the rest, not only of the story, but of the incredible fable. So let's get started, as we always do, with a quote from the Founder's Benjamin Franklin, common sense is something that everyone needs, few have, and none think they lack. Oh yes, how true. And now, let me tell you a little rant story. You know, I've been on the road, off and on, mostly on, on various book signings, hither, yither, and yon. We finished up Western Idaho at Boise, absolutely terrific. Thanks all you Idahoans and Boiseites down there. It was phenomenal. Great seeing all you readers and welcoming you new readers. And starting this week, we're at Southeast Idaho, Blackfoot. Come on down. We'd love to see you. And the week after, we're in Clay County, Iowa, Spencer, Iowa. So happy to see all you Iowans be our first event up there. And that really kind of leaves a dearth of, you know, eyes on, up-to-the-minute rant stories. But I can tell you one that actually occurred from the road here. So, you know, we had our first cutting, the grass, and the first cutting on the alfalfa fields, the pivots, etc., and it came out, you know, less than normal, but a little bit more than anticipated for this very dry year or so. We were relatively happy. And I was talking to our ranch lieutenant just the other night, and he told me the second cutting on the pivot field is now done, and the two grass fields that we had kind of left to do last are also now done. I had projected seven bales on these last two little grass fields, and it came out to 16 bales. Wow, I was ecstatic. But you know, with good news always comes bad news. The pivot field, which has been as high as 46 bales in the second cutting, came out only at 18. And what's the moral of this little rant story? You know, with the good comes the bad. You adapt, you improvise, and you overcome. So, let's get into the show, shall we? The History of the Democratic Party. That was the old days. Now it's the Democratic Marxist Party, as you'll see. In 1829, the party is founded, supposedly on a platform of individual rights, state sovereignty, and pro-slavery. In 1830, Andrew Jackson, a Democrat, creates the Indian Removal Act that forced indigenous people, Native Americans, to leave their homeland. Think Trail of Tears, folks. Outrageous, dark stain on the pages of American history. In 1854, the Republican Party is founded primarily on an anti-slavery platform. In 1857, the Supreme Court case of Scott v. Sanford, famous case, the court ruled that slaves aren't citizens, they are property. Seven justices voting in favor of that pronouncement were Democrats. The two who dissented were Republicans. In 1860, 11 slave states succeed from the Union. The Confederacy is born The Civil War begins. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation, a Republican, by the way. In 1865, Lincoln is assassinated. His vice president, Andrew Johnson, a Democrat, assumes the presidency, and he opposes integrating newly freed slaves, the freed folks, the freed Americans from the Emancipation Proclamation. In 1865, the Republicans passed the 13th Amendment. It permanently outlaws slavery. In 1865, also, the Democrats established what's called the Black Codes. This is a series of state and local statutes, which were intended and did, marginalize blacks and keep them, really, in indentured servitude. Poll taxes, literacy tests, all sorts of other nonsense... Prevented them from voting. You know, not like just having an ID, which you need for a six-pack of beer or a pack of cigarettes. In 1865, Confederate veterans formed the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, and it is formed to oppose the Republicans' party's integration of blacks into mainstream America. Its first grand wizard, the KKK, was a Democrat. Huh, imagine that. Named Nathan Bedford Forrest, two R's in Forrest. The KKK, in the next few years, lynched, that's right, lynched, 3,446 black folks and 1,289 white Republicans. You know, that was over 86 years, and that's what we know of. By the way, did you notice that they kind of, uh, (laughs) they weren't reticent about lynching their political opponents? That certainly hasn't changed, has it? 1868, the Republicans passed the 14th Amendment, It gives black folks in America, quite rightfully, citizenship. It is opposed by the Democrats. In 1868 also, the Republicans passed the 15th Amendment, which gives black folks the right to vote. Not a single Democrat, not a single Democrat in the House or the Senate supported it. In 1868, the KKK Grand Wizard is the honored guest and speaker at the Democratic National Convention. In 1869, Reconstruction is pretty much ended from the Civil War. Democrats reestablish white supremacy in the South with Jim Crow laws, which really, in effect, legalize segregation. That would take over 100 years to dispose of. In 1871, Republican President Ulysses S. Grant dismantles the KKK. In 1872, Republicans, not Democrats, elect the first African-American senators and representatives. In 1878, Republican Senator by the name of Aaron Sargent introduces the 19th Amendment, which gives women the right to vote. The Democrats who controlled Congress voted it down. Oh, gals, (laughs) I thought they cared about you. In 1911, Democrat President Woodrow Wilson, really the first progressive, stuffs his cabinet with Dixiecrats, powerful Southern Democrats, and sets back the cause of civil rights for decades, quite intentionally, I might add. In 1918, the KKK is re-established. They have They have a wider target band now. Immigrants, Jews, Catholics, and, of course, blacks. In 1919, the Republican Congress passes the 19th Amendment, finally, which guarantees women the right to vote. In 1922, Democrats try to keep lynching legal, I'm not making this up, by filibustering in the Senate to block a bill that the Republicans brought to make it illegal. In 1929, Republican Octaviano Lazaroolo becomes the first Mexican-American senator. In 1929, Republican Charles Curtis becomes the first Native American to hold high office, in fact, the office of Vice President of the United States. In 1939, the rabid Democrat, And the KKK cover girl by the name of Margaret Sanger, remember that name, created the, quote, Negro Project, unquote, and Planned Parenthood, whose stated mission, as admitted by her, was to cull the black population. In 1954, Republican lawmakers outlaw segregation in public school, which, by the way, was opposed by all the Democrats. Republican President Eisenhower sends in federal troops to enforce the law. In 1959, the first Republican Asian senator, Haram Fong, is elected. In 1964, President Johnson, ah yeah, Linda baby, starts to run ads titled, quote, Confessions of a Republican, unquote. And Democrats begin to learn that by accusing Republicans, (laughs) you know, uh, accuse the other side of what you do, of racism, even without evidence, they can gain political power. In 1964, the Republicans, con- the Republicans who controlled Congress passed the 1964 Civil Rights Act, kind of as an extension of the Republicans' 1957 and 1960 Civil Rights Acts. Guess what? The Democratic Senators in the United States Senate filibustered the bill for a record, still stands today, folks, 75 days. Using what they've learned over the years and trying to make, shall we say, a silk purse out of a sow's ear, the sow's ear being integration of blacks into American society, the silk purse being get the blacks to vote for them. The Democratic Party, based on what Lyndon Johnson started to learn in 1964, claimed that Republicans are the racists today, because the parties switched, you know. What changed, really, though, was not the Democrats' inherent racism their inherent sense of superiority, which we see in their speeches. You know, the deplorables and the ultra-magas and the fascists and the this and the that and the other. What really changed was the Democratic's tactics toward African Americans. By the 60s, blacks had achieved some political power, and the Democrats realized they could no longer openly suppress the right to vote, so they decided, quote, you know, if they'll vote, they might as well vote for us, unquote. Let me give you a quote from Lyndon Johnson, right, (laughs) who started this whole Republicans are racist thing. I'll have those Ns, the N words in plural, vote Democrat for the next 200 years. These Negroes, they get pretty uppity these days, and that's a problem for us. We've got to give them a little something, just enough to quiet them down, not enough to make a difference. That was Lyndon Johnson in 1963, folks. Terrific. Before 1964 Democrats regarded African Americans as, quote, violent beasts who, quote, had no aptitude for learning, unquote. After 64, when they discovered this magic political door, they treated them with supposed, at least, should we say facial, gentleness, kindness, sympathy, and really, I hate to say it, but it's true, as their pets, you know, their voting pets. History books, by the way, portray L.B.J. Johnson as the, quote, great emancipator and civil rights hero. In reality, the Democrats supported the Civil Rights Acts, or some of them, only because of one reason. It was politically expedient. And in private, Lyndon Johnson, I'll you just one quote. He communicated how he was going to addict blacks to government dependence, break up their families, destroy their lives and futures, and make them into a worthless people. This is the Democratic Party, folks. This is only 50 or 60 years ago. You know what? Very little has changed. The only thing that has changed are the useful idiots somewhere down the rungs of the ladder of the Democratic Party who really believe the cloak that the top-notch Democrats, who are no longer really Democrats or Americans, throw out there in an attempt to cloak, to guise, to discourage, or should I say to hide their true intentions. And that brings us really to the rest of the story. You know, the difference between capitalism and Marxism is that a capitalist economic system manifests itself, according to Karl Marx, as a conflict between the ruling class, the bourgeois, and the working class, the proletariat. Go back to ontherightsideradio.com and listen to those shows, which I did the History of Marxism and Communism in the United States. He predicted that tensions between this class struggle would lead to a revolution, a forcible overthrow of existing social conditions, and the creation of a new communist society without class. Ha, huh, yeah, well, I guess you're kind of overlooking human nature. The communist dictatorships that adopted Marxist ideology in the 20th century Soviet Union China Vietnam the former Eastern Bloc Cuba North Korea were regressive regimes they killed more than 100 million folks executions purposeful famine labor camps and over 1 billion people in those lands and many still are were enslaved forced labor and the gulags in the Western world Marxist prediction did not come true The proletariat did not rise up. On the contrary, free market capitalism continued to improve people's lives dramatically, and more so than any other form of government. Marx's followers were disappointed. By the way, his followers were Democrats. Huh, imagine that. And they were disappointed that the socialist revolution they had hoped for failed to materialize. Some of them, named Gramsci, Lukacs, Marcuse, and Horkheimer, came up with a new strategy. Instead of an economic revolution, they would ignite a cultural revolution, as Marx called it, a cultural transformation, which would be the trigger for the societal change that they wanted to see occur. It was called, quote, a march through the institutions, unquote. And it was a broad-based attack on Western culture through the media, the movie industry, publishing, universities. And it was called cultural Marxism. Horkheimer Adorno and Marcuse represented this faction of ideology at the Frankfurt School in Frankfurt, Germany. That institution was founded in 1923. I told you more about it in the historical story on Marxism in the United States. It was dedicated to Marxist studies with the goal of translating Marxism to real life around the world. After 1933, the Nazis forced the school's closure, not because they were right-wing. They were just a different left-wing sect. And that prompted those folks to move to, guess where? Columbia University, New York. And Princeton University, where their research continued with the help of, hold on to your seats, the Rockefeller Foundation. Oh, the elites. Here we are at the WEF upper class again. Interesting. And who attended Columbia and Princeton? Oh, that's right. Barack Obama, Columbia, and Michelle Obama, Princeton. Imagine that. The Frankfurt School's interpretation of Marxism was called critical theory. And basically, what critical theory was, it was a sugar-coated description of what it really does. Critical theory is really cultural Marxism in disguise. And Marx divided, and, and critical theory divides, and cultural Marxism divides people into victim classes. Racial minorities, immigrants, homosexuals, women, and then they pit one group against another to achieve their own political power. Cultural Marxism, under the guise of critical theory or critical race theory, you know, CRT, is taught in higher education and, fortunately, we're starting to weed it out, in elementary through high schools around the United States. By the way, it's called social sciences or cultural studies. In high schools, junior highs, and, and elementary schools. You, you parents, you might want to look at the curriculum and see what it really is. The Marxists learn how to deceive parents and students and the general public, employing their allies, the media, and an ever-growing, ever-left-leaning government bureaucracy. Cultural Marxism, folks. Critical race theory, which is a democratic hallmark now. Racism, which is a democratic hallmark now, at least the accusations of racism against others like Republicans. It is the source of identity politics. It is the source of political correctness. It is the source of historical destruction, you know, the statutes, etc., etc., etc. It is the source of attacks on the First Amendment and the right of free speech. It is the source of the attacks on anyone who does not think like they do. So understand that all this critical race theory stuff All these political wokeness, hither, yither, and yon. All the stuff about LGBTQ, transgender, you know, sex education in school. This all results from the decision in the Democratic Party to really reverse where it had been, which is a racist and divisive party into a racist, divisive, pretending-to-be-nice party. And to expand the horizons of their division to expand their political power. Considering how Americans and lots of Western Europe are now divided because of their successful employment of these tactics, remember that the goals of cultural Marxism, critical theory, and the Democratic Party, the Democratic Marxist Party of today, is basically to undo the cohesion that's necessary to a functioning society. Their goal is to subvert the pillars of Western culture and dismantle free democracies. And that, folks, is your Democratic Party quote-unquote of today. You can see how it has occurred by examining their history. So let's get into rat tat we will start with student loan debt. You know, at first the government wouldn't tell us how much that was going to cost. And they still will not tell us who's going to pay for it, although we all know the answer to that question. But finally, the press secretary, oh, she's such a... She, wow unbelievable. She admitted on TV that it's going to be $240 billion over the next decade, hmm. but about $24 billion a year, she says. By the way, there's a great clip on the website of Peter Ducey from Fox News questioning her repeatedly, but who's going to pay for this? And in that clip, you'll see she, she does upside down somersaults and dance jigs to not answer that question, although the answer obviously is obvious. In the meantime, the nonpartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, they're a little bit more accurate. They put forth a middle estimate of the cost to the United States taxpayers of $500 billion, actually a range of 440 to $600 billion. And, if you'll love this, they projected, quote, the overall amount of outstanding federal student loan debt will return to $1.6 trillion, basically its current level, within five years, unquote. Oh, well, that's just great. The Centrist Tax Foundation, that's the name of the outfit, they have stated that Biden, President offer student loan forgiveness plan is going to make, quote, inflation worse by increasing the deficit by more than $350 billion, fully offsetting all of the supposed deficit reduction resulting from the Inflation Reduction Act, unquote. I've told you more about that. In fact, I talked to you about it last week. I mean, it's smoke and mirrors. And really what this debt reduction is doing, folks. Think big picture. This is setting a precedent, right? I mean, that's what happens. It sets a precedent and an expectation for further debt forgiveness of other things of the future, all of which increase national debt and inflation, and it's going to push tuition prices higher because students are going to feel like loans aren't really loans. They're essentially grants. And of course, the universities, (laughs) even though they espouse critical theory and Marxism, They want their hands on every single dollar that can flow their way. So what are they going to do? Oh, yeah, that's right, raise tuition. Another subject having to do with President Cadaver. So Joe Baby earned the outrage of half the nation during a campaign event in Maryland. He said he doesn't respect, quote, these MAGA Republicans, unquote. And the same guy who talked about turning down heated political temperatures said that the millions of Americans who support former President Trump are semi-fascist and dangerous to democracy. And now, just in the last week, the Democratic National Committee, gee, does this all kind of tie into the historical story, is coming out in full support of Biden's statements on those MAGA and ultra-MAGA Republicans. Ha! Imagine that. In fact, DNC Chair Jamie Harrison, what a peach, on Face the Nation, was clear that the Democratic establishment is fully behind Biden's claims about Republicans. (laughs) When asked about how Biden's remarks of Trump supporters being semi-fascist square with Biden's inaugural address about bringing Americans together, Harrison responded, quote, that Biden has a pattern of consistency, <laughs> They certainly do, folks. Going all the way back to their founding in 1829. You betcha. Harrison claimed that Biden is simply calling the GOP, quote, what it is. Okay. By the way, let's stick on the Biden regime. They continue to hide the ball. They have tapped the former CIA and Pentagon chief of staff, a guy by the name of Jeremy Bash, to join Biden's intelligence, oxymoron folks, advisory board. This was reported by the Washington Examiner, by the way. Bash is a MSNBC pundit. Huh. Imagine that. And he's one of the more vocal deniers of the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. You know, back there in October 2020, we're going to talk a little bit about more in this rat-a-tat-tat, too. Biden said there were 50 former, this is back in the c- campaign of 2020, there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. They have said this, has all the four or five former heads of the CIA, both parties, etc., et etc. Cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is a bunch of garbage, unquote. Do you know what Bash did to kind of support? his now benefactor at his new position? This was a quote from Bash. Quote, This looks like Russian intelligence. This walks like Russian intelligence. This talks like Russian intelligence. That was Bash on MSNBC, October 19th, 2020. And, you know, along those lines, a senior FBI official, hmm, here's the FBI again, in the Washington field office, has abruptly resigned, hmm, Imagine that. And it was right after he came under congressional scrutiny by Charles Grassley and others for suspected political bias in handling the investigation of Hunter Biden's laptop computer, which was just Russian disinformation, you know. The guy's name is Timothy Thibault. He was the assistant special agent in charge of the Hunter Biden laptop computer investigation. He was forced to leave his post. Huh, I guess the FBI is trying to CYA and he was purportedly escorted out of the building by quote-unquote headquarters-looking types, unquote, unceremoniously last week, and poof, he was gone. Hmm, you wonder if that's justice, or maybe they're trying to get rid of a witness. Who knows? I guess we'll find out. The Internal Revenue Service. Oh, yeah, you know, the 87,000 new agents, the ads for which say ready and willing and able to use deadly force and a weapon. In the advertising for them those new agents are going to have like their own kind of you know uh, leadership within the leadership so to speak IRS Commissioner Charles Reddick he told IRS employees last week that the new office (laughs) that the IRS is establishing to be responsible to uh, get and organize and integrate these 87,000 new I guess well-armed IRS agents that it'll be responsible for, quote, substantive tax provisions, as well as the significant transformation efforts, unquote. And you'll love this. He tapped a gal by the name of Nicole Flax, F-L-A-X, to be deputy commissioner in charge of the, well, well, right now she's the deputy commissioner in charge of the large business and international division, terrific. And she has been tapped to lead this new office. This is, by the way, according to the Daily Signal. Let me give you a quote from her. Quote, we have a unique once-in-a-generation opportunity to transform the IRS in a way that helps taxpayers and fundamentally improves our tax administration work that is vital to the success of our country, unquote. This is an exciting opportunity, and we will be moving quickly with our work, unquote. By the way, does Nicole Flax, does that name sound familiar? Well, you know, Nicole has quite the track record of working to target folks that, shall we say, mm, you know, don't think like you're supposed to think. In fact, she worked hand in glove with our friend Lois Lerner, you know, the gal that persecuted all right-wing groups, particularly true Tea Party groups, and didn't give them tax-exempt status and tried to criminally prosecute them for, you know, political stuff relative to a nonprofit, profit et cetera, et cetera, et cetera who was forced to resign but kept her pension, you know, kind of like McCabe at the FBI and Comey at the FBI. In fact, Ms. Flax, during that whole investigation, she lost all her emails. And she was one of 16 IRS employees that worked with Lois Lerner who simultaneously, literally over the course of a week, had their computers crash, hmm, making information on them unretrievable. What a coincidence. Must have been a monstrous red Chinese or maybe Russian induce power surge somewhere, don't you think? Anyway, nothing really good is going to come of this appointment. I don't need to tell you that, I guess. We'll just see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Rents around the United States. Ah, Look, you homeowners out there, you know what's happening to your mortgage rates. You know what's happening to the cost of maintenance or maintaining your home, paying for utilities, etc. Well, you're not alone. Rents across the United States are up 12%. That's a lot. According to the same time last year. In fact, they've jumped about 20% over the last slightly more than a year. And guess where you see the highest rent increases? Huh. Sanctuary cities. New York City, San Francisco, Miami, Florida, Los Angeles, California, Washington, D.C., and they have thousands of new illegal alien arrivals every month, and that's pushing up the cost of housing immensely, which is a kick in the gut for American renters and first-time homeowners. The median rent folks in New York City has jumped 40% since last year, and rent for two-bedroom apartments has increased 46%. Median rent now for a one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan is $4,212 per month. It's unbelievable. Meanwhile, on the West Coast, rents have also skyrocketed. The median rent in San Francisco has now hit $3,000 a month. Median rents in San Jose, San Diego, Los Angeles, Oakland, Santa Ana range from $2,160 to $2,780. And in Miami, where 6 in 10 residents are foreign nationals. Rents have jumped to about 2500 a month. In Washington, D.C., where the state of Texas is bussing thousands of border crossers, I love it, median rents are now at $2,370. You know what's amazing? At the same time, rents in cities across Ohio, Kansas, the rest of Texas, Louisiana, Kentucky, Oklahoma, and upstate New York and Iowa have dropped. Hmm. I wonder if there's any correlation here. And then, of course, we have Kathy Hochul. H-O-C-H-U-L. Remember that name? She stepped in as governor of New York when Cuomo kind of got canned. And she came out the week before last and told Republicans to, quote, get out, unquote, of the state. Hmm. She basically said Republicans and conservatives don't represent her and her party's values. Do you remember our historical story, folks? Yes? You know, cultural Marxism. And what are the Democrats' values again right now? Oh, that's right. Locking up schools and churches, taxing working class Americans, sending jobs to China, opening the border, threatening jobs with mandates, etc. You know, <laughs> I mean, you can't make this stuff up. What's really funny is that Hochul didn't really have to ask Republicans to leave the state because people are leaving New York State and New York City in droves, Right. New York City, so that you folks know, virtually every other store in certain areas of the city is now shut down. Homelessness is rampant, along with gangs, drug dealers, and a skyrocketing, as in double digits, crime rate across all specters of violent crime. In really good news, Ron DeSantis, go Ron, okay? He dismissed four folks from the school board there in Broward County, you know where that shooting took place, for incompetence and hopefully there'll be more coming their way because it's been proven by a study they were intensely negligent and they misspent federal funds from one of the programs which was supposed to be for school safety because of their woke policies. And DeSantis, by the way, backed 30 conservative folks to replace woke folks on various school boards in five counties. Virtually a clean sweep of the school boards, which are now conservatively rather than, should we say, culturally Marxist, governed, and 25 of the 30 candidates that he endorsed won. Go Ron. Go Florida. By the way, he was assisted by the 1776 Project Pack. Throw them some money, guys. They do a good job. 1776 Project Pack. And then we have kind of a funny twist to Joe Manchin's American Treachery throwing America under the bus for political expediency and a gas pipeline, you know, through West Virginia so he can get votes and keep his seat. Oh, yeah, I told you a little bit about this last week, but it seems that the House, the Democratic Marxists in the House are not very happy with Manchin or the gas pipeline. They're trying to separate it out of the bill and what is needed, a continuing resolution to keep funding going, (laughs) yes, to keep the government running. You know, it's called the CR, a continuing resolution. So if the left reneges on this shady backdoor deal, the government folks could shut down. It's probably interesting. And you know, the funny thing is, if the mansion deal isn't removed from the continuing resolution, which creates all sorts of havoc, then these house progressives, they're going to vote the whole bill down. Either way, guess what? We have a government shutdown. Not that I think that's a bad thing. In fact, it probably won't last long enough. And they're going to need every last Democrat in the House of Representatives to try and fix this mess. It's going to be very interesting. I'll keep you informed. Oh, the Department of Homeland Security. You know, they're not content just to kind of screw up the borders and bring in 2 million illegal aliens then lie to us about it, along with other things. And, And have Taliban, as you're going to be hearing and have Taliban come into the United States government as government employees. Terrific. They have now started a program to have kids rat out their parents. Uh, think Nazi Germany. For, you know, wrong think when it comes to COVID or COVID jabs. Huh. Imagine that. And there's a video under the search bar. Actually, under the audio for today's show. You should, really, you should really listen to it. In the meantime, vaccine mandates for kids dc washington dc and in several towns and cities in california if you don't get your kid a jab if you don't follow their mandate ah you know your kid cannot attend school and there's no online classes for him or her or i guess if you're in california for it they there or whatever the pronoun is that you use at the same time if we have time to it i'm going to be bringing you up to speed on some more information that's come out again in the last week on disasters for pregnant gals, gals who are still nursing, newborn babies who have had the jab that Pfizer knew about, but you know, just forgot to talk about in their, that portion of their clinical studies that they released. It's only come out through this forced, court forced release of documents at the 80,000 or so pages a month, all sorts of Goodies, which are really baddies in those released documents. And then speaking about the Democrats and cultural Marxism and all that stuff that I did about in the history story, the left have now come up with a new brand for people they don't like. Okay, Christian nationalism. Ooh, yeah. And they're focused on Hillsdale College, which is a tremendous institution. If you don't support them, you really should. There's a gal who's a progressive. Well, actually, they call themselves progressive. They're really communists. She attacked Hillsdale College in an interview for The Salon, which is a left wing rag. Let's talk about the connection between Hillsdale and Ron DeSantis. You know that little story I brought you. We know that Larry Arne is a big fan of Ron DeSantis. But Hillsdale's actually in some of the Florida laws regarding education. What happened there? Hillsdale was tapped by Florida to advise on this project. And that includes the training of teachers to implement new civic standards, you know, like normal civic standards, that a lot of them, you know, reportedly, the Miami Herald had an amazing report on this, felt that this was, you know, promoting Christian nationalism, that this was minimizing slavery and the history of racism in the United States, unquote. And then she continues, it gets better, folks. You know, because they assert that charter schools are promoted by the right. No, good education is promoted by the right. Charter schools is just one of the means of delivering that, of extricating those black folks that Lyndon Johnson wanted to keep, you know, as pets, to use his terms, from getting educated and getting ahead and doing what they can to to avail themselves of the opportunity that America offers everyone and should offer everyone. So here's Joyce again. Hillsdale College, back in 2010, started this network of public charters, public classical education charters around the country, that were teaching a curriculum that is kind of really big on American exceptionalism, Western civilization, the idea that the U.S. was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. God, how could we ever come up with that idea, folks? Which is sort of a secularized language for Christian nationalism. Do you see how this ties into this historical story? this is why it's so important. You need to know the roots of what we are seeing right now and the reasons, the real reasons, not the cloak, for what we're seeing right now. And then we have Jennifer Granholm. I've told you about this gal. She's the energy secretary. I've put videos up on the website. I mean, it's just unbelievable listening to her. And she's very concerned about all of us, you know, us average Americans. And she wants to help us lower their electric bills. So this is what she had to say. If you're a low-income, You can get your home entirely weatherized through the expansion from the bipartisan infrastructure laws. You know, the crap that was just passed. A significant expansion, and you don't have to pay for anything. If you want heat pumps, insulation, new windows, it's all covered. And if you're moderate income, you can get 30% off the price of solar panels. You know what solar panels cost, folks? A lot of money those solar panels can be financed oh great going to debt so you don't have to have big outlay at the front and if you don't qualify for the weatherization program you'll be able to starting next year get rebates on the appliances and equipment that will help you reduce your monthly energy bill by up to 30% gee I bet you that's a lot less than the interest on this financing what do you think folks it's just math I mean what do I know so you know if you're poor go spend 10k on solar panels that's the solution folks (laughs) By the way, she also suggested that that $7,500 tax credit that you get for buying a $67,000 EV car, you know, electric car, that that's going to really help the poor and moderate income folks too. I mean, they're so in touch with us, don't you think? In another FBI story, by the way, there was this Arkansas state senator, his name was John Woods, and he was sentenced to 18 years in federal prison back in 2018 on fraud charges. Well, it comes to find out that one of the FBI agents on the case intentionally destroyed evidence in order to frame Woods. He admitted, I think this is a week ago Wednesday, that he had paid a company to clean his computer, you know, kind of Hillary Clinton style, rendering the hard drive unusable in a forensic investigation. His name is Robert Cesario, and he was charged with and admitted to, quote, corrupt destruction of record in an official proceeding. Hmm. And he goes on to say, I erased, this is his confession, I erased the contents of the computer hard knowing that the court had ordered that the computer be submitted to a forensic examination. I did so with the intention of making the contents of the computers hard, unavailable for forensic examination. You know, one of the questions that comes to mind is if this FBI agent is getting whatever he's going to be getting, what happened to Hillary Clinton's stomping on her hard drive, wiping it clean, you know, with Sudzo or whatever she used. <laughs> yes, well, the equality of justice. It, it seems to be fleeting here right now. By the way, the CEOs that were asked about, is there a recession? You know, those 97% of the CEOs of big, small and large companies in the United States. They also were asked about, what, what is their biggest concern? Guess what their smallest concern was? COVID, 3%. Their biggest concern? Recession. Supply chain disruptions, 53%. Inflation, 59%. Labor constraints, 64%. You know, those labor statistics they're lying to you about. Remember, folks, shadowstats.com. The link is right on the website. I can't urge you enough to go to that website and see what's really going on without all the government fudge, hoopla, and polish. Remember that the economy is the collective result of Billions of individual transactions. If consumers and businesses think we're in a recession, guess what? We're in a recession, folks. And by the way, lest we feel, oh, should we say, out on a limb all by ourselves, think about China. Did you know the same thing in real estate's going on in China that's going on here, but like three times worse? China's real estate problem is huge. And China's real estate market is probably the most important sector all by itself in any single country in the world. Because virtually all the Chinese quote-unquote middle class, their biggest investment is real estate. That's right. And real estate has sunk by more than 50% in China. The total value of real estate equity, which is sinking rapidly in China, is $60 trillion. That, by the way, is more than the entire U.S. equity market and two times our housing market. So when things are going bad in China, they're going bad, should we say, for the rest of the world. They're predicting another 30% drop in Chinese property market values, like one and a half times worse than than their 2008 crash. In fact, the Chinese are tearing down, listen to this, entire blocks of unfinished apartment buildings. Think about it. They're building them, they just got them done, they're virtually complete, they're brand new spiffy stuff, they're tearing them down. So, this problem that we're facing here in the United States is global, that's my point. And when you have a problem like I've described to you here, which everybody else seems to want to pull the wool over your eyes on, and it's a global problem, the repercussions could be diabolic. So, once again, prepare folks. Don't use those credit cards if, I mean, unless it's life or death, don't use those credit cards. And as our last rat-a-tat-tat for this show, because, you know, as always, we're out of time, Joe Biden, God, this guy is just, oh, actually, the people behind him are just wrecks. The Department of Homeland Security, you know, our friend of quote, We will ensure that individuals who have lived under Taliban rule, such as former civil servants, those required to pay service fees to the Taliban, those who were required to get a passport, are not mistakenly barred because of overly broad applications of terrorism-related inadmissibility grounds in our immigration law. Let me boil that down for you. If you were associated with the Taliban, unless you were like a high, mucky-muck general, you can now work in the United States government. Hmm, that should make you feel really good, folks. Really, really, really good, and really, really, really safe. And it's time, unfortunately, to depart. In the mirror, with your family, with conviction. Repeat, I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and across the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. Talk to you next week. and Keep the wind at your back.